1: In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, Kelly Hooker and I chat about our favorite books from July through September 2022. Kelly is an avid reader, reviewer, and bookstagrammer. She works part-time as a speech pathologist in Michigan. Kelly has two toddler boys and a new baby, and firmly believes that nap time is for novels. She is an audiobook enthusiast and loves hosting book club reads and author events. She creates seasonal reading guides to help readers pick up the right book at the right time. I always love talking books with Kelly, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as well. Don't you know the
0: that- truth?
1: Welcome, Kelly. How are you today?
0: Oh, hi, Sydney. I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I'm doing okay, and I am so glad you're here so we can talk about our favorite July through September books of 2022.
0: Yes, I think this is my best quarter of the year as far as quality of reads go.
1: I agree completely. It is definitely my best quarter. It was really hard for me to narrow down to 10, and I know we're both going to highlight a couple of extras at the end just really quickly. But there were so many good books, it was hard to get down to a manageable number.
0: It really was.
1: (laughs) And you've had exciting news since we spoke last. You have a third boy, Benjamin. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. Yeah, he's really cramping my style when it comes to my reading. But um, I'm trying to squeeze it in when I can. It still feels good just to get lost in a book and have my audiobooks going when I'm up with him in the night. So I've been able to, to squeeze some reading in there.
1: Well, that's good. And I unfortunately lost my father in this quarter. So I've had a little bit more difficulty reading, but I'm slowly but surely getting there and trying to take comfort in the fact that he's in a better place.
0: Yes, I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank
1: you. I really appreciate it. So we're going to do this July through September, as I mentioned. And then for the end of the year, instead of doing October through December, we're going to each highlight our top favorite 15 reads of 2022. And I'm really looking forward to that as well.
0: I am too. It will be so fun just to do a year wrap-up and just go back to some of those reads that stood out to us at the beginning of the year and kind of revisit those.
1: It really will. I was starting to kind of think about that, just all the year-end wrap-ups, because they always seem to come earlier than I think they're going to. And so I was thinking back to some of my favorite reads from earlier in the year. So it will be really fun to compile that list.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Well, let's dive in
1: here. I'm going to let you go first. I feel certain we have some overlap because you and I have both enjoyed a number of the same books. So I'm looking forward to hearing what's on your list. Why don't you start?
0: Okay, my first read came out July 5th, and it is The Displacements by Bruce Holsinger. So this is certainly my timeliest selection, because it is about the aftermath of a catastrophic hurricane. So I can understand how this might not work for some readers right now. This falls squarely into the subgenre cli-fi or climate fiction. I just love novels that force me to consider what I would do in a harrowing situation. And the displacements did just that. So like I mentioned, this is a story about Category 6, Hurricane Luna. So the storm completely devastates a large area, and it displaces millions of people throughout the country. So the story focuses in on the Larson Hall family, and they are very affluent. They live in Florida, but they find themselves in a really bad situation after the hurricane. So I was immediately drawn into the story because it's got this like, steady sense of foreboding. And the plot is just eerily plausible, as we've seen within the last few weeks. The book initially reads kind of like a fast-paced thriller. And as the family gets settled into a relief camp, the story morphs a little bit and becomes more of a character study. And the camp serves kind of as an, a microcosm for society. Because the author raises some really interesting questions about race, privilege, and our collective responsibility to care for the earth. And I think that some readers might have found this messaging to be a little bit heavy-handed, but for me, it left me feeling this urgency to act. And I, I wasn't distracted by it at all. I thought it was really well done. So despite its 400-plus page length, I flew through this one. Even being nine months pregnant, um, nothing was really holding my attention well, but this did. There's so many topics to consider with this book, and I think it would make a really fantastic book club selection. And that was The Displacements by Bruce Holsinger.
1: The beginning of this book completely freaked me out. I was texting my husband every five minutes like, "Okay, because we're in Houston, you know, and so we, we get storms. And so I was like, "Okay, we need to have more cash at home. Okay, we need to have, we need to make sure we always know where our phones are if we're leaving, like in the event of a stop. Like I was texting him, he really builds, as you said, this sense of foreboding and like what it would be like. And they all get out the door without their phones and money and all that. And I was like, okay, we need to have all of this. And he's like, what is happening? <laughs> Cause I didn't tell him I was reading a book and I'm like <laughs> spam texting him with all this stuff we have to do. I ended up getting these solar charging cell phone chargers. I mean, all this stuff like that really yeah. did completely freaked me out. But I also felt like it was a good primer for the next time we have a storm here. I know what to do.
0: Yeah, it was a very ominous story. But I don't know, for me, it was just the right book at the right time. But I can completely see how it could be the wrong book at the wrong time for somebody too.
1: Oh, no, I just more meant that I felt like he did a good job of making me rethink my list for hurricanes. I mean, you know, it was helpful. I was like, okay, we need to make sure we do this and that and this. And then, of course, as you said, I mean, Ian just hit and the devastation is crazy. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, they're going to see, I think, Houston and, you know, all along the Gulf are going to start seeing some of these crazier storms.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was a really interesting read. So tell me, what is your first book?
1: So my first book is Any Other Family by Eleanor Brown. It's contemporary fiction, and it came out on July 12th. This novel is a beautiful reflection on the concept of family. Three sets of parents are tied to each other through the biological siblings that they each adopt after the death of the children's grandmother. In an effort to ensure that the siblings remain close, the parents agree to create their own family for these kids, sharing Sunday dinners, celebrating birthdays and holidays together, and even taking a joint vacation. The three adoptive mothers are very different from each other, and the book focuses on each of them, their approach to motherhood and how they interact with each other and work to keep their fragile family bonds intact. While the group is on their shared vacation, the children's birth mother surprises them with the news that she is pregnant again and wants help finding a family to adopt the latest baby, and this bombshell threatens to destroy what the group has created. At times, I identified with each of the three adoptive mothers and also really felt for each of them. The women all want to do what is best for the children, as well as trying to help them maintain relationships with each other. The author intersperses essays by people wanting to adopt throughout the book, and I found those interesting as well. She really focused on adoption and how different it is for different people, as well as the many reasons people decide to adopt. This will be one of my top reads of the year, and I have not stopped thinking about it since I finished it. I just loved it. And that's Any Other Family by Eleanor Brown.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you brought this book because I loved it too. And I thought the author's note, like you mentioned, was so thoughtful because she's an adoptive mother herself. And so it really brought that level of authenticity to the story that I just so appreciated. Um, One of the things that I loved about this story is I have a best friend who is an adoptive mother and she has created this family between adoptive siblings, her her children's biologic siblings and their adoptive family. So it's kind of this big blended family in the same way that it is in the story. And I just think it's such a beautiful way to re-envision family and connection and what that can look like.
1: I agree. And I also just loved that each mother had such a different perspective because I felt like at different times I could identify with each one of them, but I was glad that she made them that she portrayed them the way she did. You just really felt for each one of them sometimes, and you also understood exactly where they were coming from.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I just thought it was a really, yeah, thought-provoking story. And I love stories about motherhood, Um, not surprisingly, just because that's the season that I'm in. So I was really drawn to this story, too. I'm so glad you loved it.
1: Me too. So
0: what's up for you? Okay, Acts of Violet by Margarita Montemore. And this also came out July 12th. This was such a pleasant, magical surprise for me. I really enjoyed the author's debut, Una Out of Order, and this was such a unique premise as well, and I think it really delivered. The story follows Violet Volk. She is a talented musician who disappears during one of her performances, and the circumstances surrounding her mysterious public disappearance has really left her fans completely baffled. Like nobody knows where she went, if it was part of her magic show, or if it was something more sinister. So Violet's life is really an enigma to those who followed her career, but even to her own family, they can't really grasp who the real Violet is and why she would want to disappear or what happened to her. I just thought that the premise of this story felt so fresh and it was a bit genre bending. I haven't read anything like it. And so it's kind of hard to peg down where it falls. And I loved that. So while there's this solid mystery and a few elements of magical realism at its heart, I loved that this story is about sisterhood and also the repercussions of living in the limelight and how that might affect somebody. Acts of Violet was fantastic on audio. I really highly recommend this format because first of all, it's got a full cast recording, which I always love, but also they're just so many fun formatting things like there's a podcast. And so you can hear the podcast transcript kind of come to life and there's background noises. It just really brought the story to life. One thing I want to mention without spoilers is that of Violet raises some really interesting questions and aspects of the ending are left up for interpretation. So if you like a super n- nice, tidy ending, This might be tough for you. But I think if you head into this story and just keep an open mind and embrace the ambiguity, then it'll really work well for you. So that was Acts of Violet by Margarita Montemore.
1: I loved that one too. And I'm so glad you included it because I just was really struggling to get to 10. And that one was kind of in the midst of of all of that, kind of right on the edge. But it was just fabulous. And I've heard such great things about the audiobook. And when I interviewed her, she was telling me how pleased she was with the audiobook because they even created music for her podcast. And the the podcast is just like it is. it actually is a podcast. And so I've got the audiobook and I still need to listen to it because it just sounds like it's fabulous. But I thought it was a great story. And I don't like ambiguous endings usually, but I'll tell you, I think that's like the third book recently that I've read with an ambiguous ending. And I've decided maybe it just depends because at first I was unsure, but as I've thought about it more and more, I, I understand why that ending is ambiguous and I don't mind it at all. And that's a great read.
0: Yeah, that's where I landed too. So I'm glad that you also enjoyed it. I'm
1: just laughing because apparently that's becoming more common because there's just several other books that I have read recently with more ambiguous endings and I haven't minded it. So I don't know if it's me or the way the ending is done. It's interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too.
1: So my next one is The Librarian Spy by Madeline Martin. It's historical fiction and it came out on July 26th. The Librarian Spy takes place in Lisbon, Portugal, and Lyon, France, during World War II. Ava works as a librarian at the Library of Congress until she is recruited by the U.S. military to spy during World War II. She is sent to Lisbon to pose as a librarian while gathering intel for the war effort. Meanwhile, Elaine is working in Lyon helping to operate a printing press run by the French resistance, but the Nazis are frantically searching to locate the press and silence the printer. As the war continues, the two women begin communicating through coded messages, as they each work to help the Allies win the war. While many historical fiction books are set during World War II, few address what life was like in Portugal during that time period. Since Portugal was neutral, life there was drastically different than most of Europe, and Martin vividly depicts this in her compelling, heartbreaking, and entertaining tale. There was no rationing, and tons of Europeans fleeing the Nazis came to Portugal to try to leave for the United States. She portrays what it was like for those individuals as they got visas and then tried to get boat tickets, and if you missed your window of time, the whole thing reset. So she just does a really great job of bringing that to life, and I felt like I was on the streets of Portugal and Lyon as I was reading the book. The Leon storyline is a little darker, but it's equally fascinating. This was a Patreon early read for my Patreon group, and the group loved it so much that I am hosting her for my literary salon in November here in Houston. I just thought it was an absolute standout of a read, and that's The Librarian Spy by Madeline Martin.
0: Oh, that sounds so interesting, especially because of the Portugal setting and Portugal being neutral during the war. I hadn't thought about what life might be like there, so this sounds this sounds great.
1: You know, I just always think of like Europe and World War II and all of the rationing and how there was little food in all the occupied places, so to have Portugal encountering none of that and everything is just the way it had always been. It was really interesting to kind of see what life was like there. Though there were still spies from both sides and there was a lot happening, it just didn't have some of those elements that you normally think of as Europe in World War II.
0: Right. I love how authors are expanding on the World War II subgenre and just branching out and bringing new stories to life from different parts of the world. I think that's so fascinating.
1: I agree. And I think it's interesting because people will say, oh, I'm so tired of World War II. I've read everything there is to read about it. And I'm like, there's no way because so many countries were involved and the war went for so long, built up for so long that I just think there are so many stories left untold. And I really like it when I come across one that is different.
0: Yeah, me too. What's up for you? Okay, so speaking of different, this is Upgrade by Blake Crouch, and this also came out on July 12th. So if I mention the sci-fi genre and it's really not your thing, just try to hang with me here, because I wouldn't consider myself a sci-fi buff really by any stretch of the imagination, but I just think there's something about Blake Crouch's storytelling that's absolutely magnetic. So Upgrade asks the question, if you were given the chance to save the future of all humanity... By upgrading your DNA, would you take it? The story follows Logan Ramsey in a near future society that's been ravaged by climate change and man-made catastrophes. So Logan involuntarily finds his body and mind slowly transforming into optimal conditions. So he's got this uncharted IQ, really incredible physical abilities, but these things are coming at a cost. I'll admit that the premise does sound a bit heady, but really this is a story that explores what it means to be human. I would say that Upgrade is a bit heavier on the science than I remember the author's previous books to be, Dark Matter and Recursion, but the science aspects are really succinctly summarized and you can easily gloss them over if that isn't of interest to you. All of Crouch's books read like bingeable thrillers, and I especially love how he incorporates themes of home and family into his stories. He just raises some really interesting questions about the common good and human complacency and what our role is in protecting future generations. So once again, I just found myself completely blown away by Blake Crouch's brilliant creativity and the way that he can craft such a unique story. So this book was outside of my comfort zone, but it was one that I really enjoyed. So I'm glad that I branched out of it. And that was Upgrade by Blake Crouch.
1: I haven't read Upgrade, but I loved Recursion. And I would not say I'm a sci-fi fan either, but I thought Recursion was great. So I need to go back and pick up Dark Matter and then read Upgrade as well.
0: Yes, I think all three of them, I just thought, you know, I don't know if these are going to be for me but they ended up being fantastic. And Dark Matter, I think I retold the whole entire book to my husband Um, after I read it. I remember we were on a walk and I just blabbed about the whole book to him and he's like, okay, well, I guess I don't need to read it now. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) I just did that recently with an ending I was debating. And so I had to tell my husband the whole thing and he's like, well, now I can't read it because you've ruined the ending. I'm like, I'm so sorry, (laughs) but I just needed to hash it out with somebody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what's your next read?
1: My next read is another book that will be one of my top reads of the year, and that is Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Gillian McAllister. And it's a mystery thriller, kind of, I don't know which one it is, I guess. It's a mystery slash thriller set in the UK, and it came out on August 2nd. As the book opens, Jen witnesses her 18 year old son, Todd, murdering a complete stranger in the middle of the night right in front of their house. Devastated that her son, with whom she is close, has taken someone's life, Jen cries herself to sleep on the sofa. The following morning, she wakes up anxious to begin understanding why her son committed this horrific crime, but instead finds herself not on the morning after the crime, but the morning before it happened. Each night she goes to sleep, she wakes up further back in time. Jen begins to realize that each day she lands on is teaching her something about the events that led up to her son's actions, as she continues to search for why this all occurred, and more importantly, search for how to stop it from happening. Wrong Place, Wrong Time is an intelligent and compulsive read that kept me turning the pages through all sorts of twists and turns and is the best thriller that I have read in a long time. I have recommended this book to so many people and have had great feedback on it. It made me really reflect on the various stages of my life, as well as that of my children, and also perspective. Once Jen had more knowledge of certain events, she saw things in a totally different way or noticed aspects of things that she hadn't noticed before. And I found that so fascinating and so compelling. So, that is Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Jillian McAllister.
0: This was up next for me as well. And it was a five star read. I felt the same way. It was a thriller, but had so much heart to it, which is my favorite combination. It's the best thriller I've read in a long time. And I dare I say, even ever, because I've been trying to think of something that I liked more and I I can't off the top of my head. So, I highly recommend this one too. I loved the backwards storytelling. I thought it might get confusing, but it was really easy to follow. And I thought it was masterful, really, how all of the pieces fell together. And like you were saying, I, I think the book really made me consider, you know, what's important as a mom and just having, you know, three little boys that are four and under. I feel like sometimes I just get caught up in the weeds and the, (laughs) I'm just in the thick of it in the day to day. And so. Seeing this bird's eye view of a mom of an older son who watches her son, you know, kind of at and goes back to when he was at different stages of his life in their relationship, it just made me consider how I want to be raising my boys and just kind of what the end game is. So I loved that about this story.
1: And to have faith that what you're doing with raising them is going to result in good kids because, you know, she kind of struggles with that. She's like, we have this close relationship, he's a really good kid, what have I done wrong? And so I think as she kind of goes back and is looking through everything, she realizes, you know, she hasn't done anything wrong. And that's, I don't think that's a spoiler, but more to realize that, you know, every person is their own person, but also you have to have faith that if you're doing the very best you can, and you're putting your all into it, that your your children are going to turn out well.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true. So that just really like tugged on my heartstrings a bit. So I ended this book like in just a little weepy mess and <laughs> I, lo- I loved it though. I did too. What's up next for you, Kelly? I have Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid and this came out August 30th. So I think Taylor Jenkins Reid has served up another ace with her highly anticipated release, Carrie Soto is Back. I really enjoyed really all of her most recent books, but I guess I wouldn't consider myself fanatical in the way that some other readers do. But this was a five-star read for me, and maybe my favorite of hers, although Daisy Jones is really hard to beat on audio. So the story is about Carrie Soto, and after dominating the women's tennis scene from the late 70s to the early 90s, she steps away from the game to go out on top. Six years later, and no longer in her prime, she comes out of retirement and back into the limelight to defend her world records at the age of 37. So I don't think it's necessary for you to have an undying love for tennis to enjoy the story, but I do think having a heart of a competitor might boost your investment in Carrie's journey. I've heard from readers that don't love sports that they've either loved this or it hasn't been for them. So I really do think it's, it's going to be variable, but I'm curious to see where other readers land on this. I loved Carrie as a character. She was so callous towards the media and her opponents and really sometimes even to those closest to her. But I couldn't help but root for her success on and off the court. She's just one of the most distinctive female characters that I've read. She just had this like hard exterior and this singular focus. And that really led to her success, but it was really lonely for her at the top. I loved her character arc in general I, and how she progressed and grew as a character and opened herself to new experiences, even after she felt like she had it all. So the story really shines in its portrayal of this tender father-daughter relationship. And I just don't see that a lot in books often. And like my own father, Carrie's dad, who was also her coach, played a really big role in her success. And it just reminded me of my dad and his unfailing dedication and love you know, with with me in sports growing up. And so that was a fun aspect of the book for me. And that was a five-star read that was Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid.
1: I'm so glad you included this one because it was in my top 10 as well. So I'll just chime in now about the things that I liked about it. Yeah. Like I'm not a diehard fan. Some of her books I love, some I like. It just really depends. But I loved this one. And Daisy Jones was my favorite before. And I think they are now neck and neck. Yeah. I just felt like Carrie's arc, as you mentioned, was wonderful. And she isn't that likable, or she isn't likable probably, when the book starts. But as you get to know her, you understand why she's the way she is and her singular focus and the fact that she sort of had to devote her entire life to tennis at the expense of all of these other things. She hasn't had the time to develop friends. She doesn't understand having a romantic relationship. Like there's just a lot there. And once I saw some of that develop, I really began to like her and I rooted for her. I did think it was a slow start. I had had several people highly, highly recommend it to me when I picked it up. And the first probably 50 pages, I was like, this is all right, you know? And then once it really kind of picked up, I thought it was great. And it was definitely a five-star read for me as well. I just thought it was outstanding. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, some of the tennis match scenes as well, I thought I was going to get a little bored, but I was so invested. Like, it felt like I was watching it on TV, which I don't even watch tennis on TV, but it kind of made me want to.
1: (laughs) Well, and they timed the release with the U.S. Open. And then it was really interesting because Serena... Was on her final matches. Of course, she didn't take the break and come back and all that. But still, it was interesting because I thought there were some
0: parallels. Yeah, that's
1: true. It was a good one.
0: Okay. What read is next for you, Cindy? So mine is Dirt Creek by Haley
1: Scrivener. It's a mystery slash thriller set in Australia, and it came out on August 2nd. Dirt Creek is a slow burn mystery about the murder of a 12-year-old girl in a small town in rural Australia and the repercussions on the community, its families, and the children living there. The story is told using multiple points of view, punctuated by a Greek chorus giving voice to the town's remaining children. Durton, nicknamed Dirt Creek, is a small town whose residents are hiding numerous secrets. When 12-year-old Esther doesn't return home after school, Durton's residents are sent into a tailspin obsessing about how such a thing could happen in their town. When the police arrive and begin working the case by organizing searches with local volunteers and interviewing everyone in the town, it quickly becomes clear that everything is not as it seems. Scrivener weaves an engrossing tale of being in the wrong place at the wrong time and how the choices we make have long-lasting consequences. It took me a bit to catch on to the Greek chorus, but once I did, I thought it was a genius move for her to create this Greek chorus with the children of the town. It added a clever element to the book, and I'm also a huge fan of stories set in Australia. I thought this one was so much better than another recent release, Wake by Shelley Burr, That story to me was so convoluted and I just wanted it to end. I didn't feel like she did a very good job of sort of bringing Australia to life and the mystery was, I don't know, sort of silly. But I think the opposite of Dirt Creek, like you just feel like you were there in this dusty small town in rural Australia. She brings the characters to life, the town, everything. So I just highly, highly recommend it. And that is Dirt Creek by Haley Scrivener.
0: That one just missed my list too. I really enjoyed that one. And I love that it was a debut. It felt gritty um, and kind of as in the same way that Jane Harper's The Dry felt like the Australian Outback just as a character in its own right. And I loved that.
1: I loved that too. I really think that those type of immersive settings completely make a book.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what's up next for you? So next up for me is Daisy Darker by Alice Feeney, and this came out August 30th. I loved this atmospheric story with a string of mysterious murders that just kept me turning the pages. I think this is perfect for spooky season fall reading. The story is told in this hour-by-hour fashion as we meet the Darker family at their seaside island retreat on Halloween night. So in true locked room mystery fashion, High Tide has come in and then they're all trapped inside. Slowly, members of the Darker family are murdered in meticulous ways. And each family member has their own secrets that are slowly revealed in flashbacks told through family home videos from the 1980s, which I thought was so interesting. I love a good locked room mystery. And this story was no exception. It was really reminiscent of Agatha Christie's infamous novel, And Then There Were None but Daisy Darker felt really fresh in its twists and turns. And Alice Feeney mentioned that she spent five years writing this homage to Agatha Christie. And the time that she put into this story is really evident. I would also highly recommend the audiobook. It's narrated by Stephanie Racine, and she has narrated Feeney's previous books. Her English accent and intonation was precisely what the story needed. I thought it added so much to it. I will say that... Daisy Darker wasn't my favorite of Alice Feeney's books, but all of her books have been like four and a half, five stars. So I think Daisy Darker is still a solid four-star read, and I really enjoyed it. So if you're looking for the perfect atmospheric Halloween read, add Daisy Darker by Alice Feeney to your shelves.
1: I have not read that one, but you're making me want to listen to
0: it. Yeah, I think it's a fun, it was a quick read, and again, the narration just adds this spooky factor to it. So it was a fun one.
1: So my next one is Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayburn. It's a mystery, and it came out September 6th. This delightful and thought-provoking mystery stars four women, Billy, Mary Alice, Helen, and Natalie, who have been employed by the museum, an elite network of assassins, for four decades. When the museum sends them on a fabulous vacation to celebrate their retirement, the women quickly determine that their trip is a ruse because they are being targeted by someone within the museum Due to the work that they have done for the organization over the years. Times have changed, and their skill sets are no longer valued by the museum, but the friends are determined to upend the view that women of a certain age are expendable. Through experience and working together, they prove that their age and gender are positives versus negatives. Combining humor, reflections on what it means to age, and a clever mystery, Killers of a Certain Age kept me engaged from page one. It is a must read for mystery lovers. I also loved how she touched on important topics but infuse the entire story with wit and wisdom. I am a huge Deanna Rayburn fan. I love her Veronica Speedwell series. It's just one of my favorites. And so I was so excited when she told me when I was interviewing her for the latest Veronica Speedwell that she was writing this book and that it was coming out later in the year. I just thought it was absolutely delightful. Such a great book. And that's Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayburn.
0: Oh, perfect timing. This was up for me next. I just thought like you said, this was such like a zany ride, but tackled some some deeper topics. But overall, the story felt really light and fun. And I, I read it in kind of the midst of some just popcorn thrillers that I was feeling a little bit burnt out on. And this just was a breath of fresh air. I saw that a Goodreads reviewer described this story as Kill Bill meets the Golden Girls. And I just thought that comparison was so spot on. I mean just truly. So this was such a fun book. I hadn't read anything else by Deanna Rayburn before. So I'm excited to hear that you liked one of her series because I'll definitely be checking her out again.
1: I love the Veronica Speedwell series. It's set in Victorian England. And it is just, again, filled with humor, but also really clever mysteries. And it's just really well done. She's so much fun. And around the time she was telling me about this book, That meme that showed the Golden Girls compared to Carrie Bradshaw and her friends when the reboot was coming back of Sex and the City and how they were really the same age, but Uh how different society, you know, in the 80s, the Golden Girls and today, Carrie Bradshaw and all her friends. And I thought that was so fascinating because, you know, people had that idea of the Golden Girls being so old, but they're like in their 50s. And, you know, know, and so it's just kind of crazy to think about (laughs) now. So she said, I just wanted to like upend that stereotype. And I thought she did a great job doing that. Yeah, I think so too. It was awesome. So what's up next for you?
0: Next for me is How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by Angie Cruz. And this came out September 13th. I loved everything about the story. This was a five-star read for me and one that I want to shout from the rooftops. It was such a true delight. And the audio experience was really, I think, maybe one of the best that I've had. The story follows Cara Romero, and she's an immigrant from the Dominican Republic, and she finds herself looking for work when her job at a New York City factory that she's held for decades is eliminated due to the recession. So she's middle-aged, and she's just trying to reinvent herself and start over. The structure of the story is so unique. It's set up over the course of 12 counseling sessions as Cara meets with a job counselor, And Kara treats this counselor like she is, you know, in actual mental health counseling, like she divulges everything to her um, and has really (laughs) poor boundaries, but is so charming through these sessions. So Angie Cruz is the author and she wrote Dominicana, which I have not yet read, but I plan to. But she gave Kara such a distinctive voice. She's got this great personality and a tender heart for her estranged son and a deep loyalty to the people that she loves. And she's just this character that is going to live rent-free in my mind. Every time I think of her, I still smile. The story is infused with so much heart and humor that I actually laughed out loud, which really n- never happens to me. I'm a stoic reader, but I was out for a walk and listening to this and like laughing. I'm like, oh, nobody, <laughs> nobody sees me out here, but it was just so funny. I think the audiobook is really the way to go. Almost to the point where if you just read it on the pages, you're you're missing out. Like, I feel sad for you a little bit because it's just so good. Kara's accent and her, her zany antics really shine through the narration. The audio is also completely immersive because it gives various background sound effects that really enhance the story. So, you know, when she's walking into her counselor's office, you hear footsteps. And when she's filling out some of these job application forms, you hear typing sounds. And then every time she goes into her counselor's office um, and takes a glass of water, you hear the water and her swallowing. So it's just like, it sounds like it would be distracting, but it was really, it made it so fun. So after finishing the story, like I said, I immediately added Cruz's Dominicana to my TBR. So while this story was laugh out loud, funny at times, there are some heavier themes. Um, it tackles domestic abuse and there is really some heartache with Kara's relationship with her estranged son. But I think that if you're looking for a story that really captures found family and the importance of living in community and just making a home with the people around you, I think that you're really going to want to pick up How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by Angie Cruz.
1: This was on my list as well. I absolutely love this book. It will be in my top reads of the year. I just thought it was such a great story. And I actually read it, and when I first read it, it's a very quick read, it's short, and I was thinking, oh, this will be really difficult on audio because there's forms at the beginning of each counseling session. But then I've asked you and several other people, and they say the forms are done really well in the audio, so I hustled as soon as everybody kept raving about the audio to download it. So I have it, and I'm going to listen to it because it isn't long, and I'd love to kind of have the added benefit of all the things you were describing in the audio, but I thought it was a great read as well. And I also laughed out loud. Kara is now one of my new favorite fictional characters. I just, she is flawed, but she is so darn hilarious. And she really experienced a lot of growth in the book. I mean, her character arc was very well done. Yeah. And the other thing I loved was the setting because it's set in Washington Heights in New York City. I'm a huge fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical in the Heights, which is also set in Washington Heights. So I interviewed Angie Cruz. I told her the whole time I was reading the book, I was singing all these songs from the musical. She's like, now they're all going to be stuck in my head because some of them are kind of definite like earworm songs, you know? She's like, oh, now I'm never going to be able to get them out. But I love that part of New York City. And I thought it was really fun to see the way she brought that to life and the gentrification and how that's changing the neighborhood and the community, as you talked about, you know, everybody lives close to each other, but that's kind of getting upended when the rents are going up. And I just thought it was so well done. And as you said, like she plops down and before the counselor can even ask her a single question, she just launches in to whatever's happened to her lately. Like it is 12 therapy sessions for Kara.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I can't think of a read-alike for this book. Like it's just so unique and so delightful. And I think Kara. She just makes a home in your heart. Like you can't help but love her. So I hope that this book just gets into the hands or the ears of so many readers, because like you said, it'll be a top read for me of the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait to listen to it.
0: Can't wait to hear what you think about it. So my next one
1: is Marple, 12 New Mysteries, which is a mystery short story collection that came out on September 13th. Story collections by a group of authors on a shared topic are either fabulous or completely unexceptional for me. Marple Twelve New Mysteries definitely falls in the former camp, mainly because of the all-star lineup of the twelve authors who contributed Miss Marple tales: Naomi Alderman, Lee Bardugo, Alyssa Cole, Lucy Foley, Ellie Griffiths, Natalie Haines, Jean Kwok, Karen M. McManus, Dreda Say Mitchell, Kate Moss, and Ruth Ware. Each author creates their own take on Miss Marple, and the settings, additional characters, and actual mysteries solved by Miss Marple vary widely. Which makes the collection very engaging to read. The authors clearly did their research on Miss Marple and the cases she solved, and it was so interesting to see the many different directions that they went with that knowledge. The definite standouts for me were the stories by Ruth Ware, Jean Kwok, and Ellie Griffiths. A couple of the mysteries fell a little flat for me, but I think that's always the case in collections like these. Overall, it is a highly engaging and creative book, particularly for those who love mysteries and Agatha Christie. And that's Marple Twelve New Mysteries by various authors.
0: I have this one on audio and I started the first mystery and got distracted by a new release and haven't gone back to it yet, but I actually haven't read any of the original Marple stories. So I think I want to read one first and then go back just to kind of get a feel for the original before I see some of these fresh takes. But I love the variety of contributing authors and I'm curious to see how this plays out.
1: Well, I was talking with the publicist about it because truly when you see these collections normally, there'll be two or three authors that are big standouts and then some people you've never heard of. And then, you know, some kind of people in the middle, but this is truly like 12 amazing authors. And to see them all come together for something like this, I just thought, okay, I can't pass it up. And it's a stunning, stunning cover, but it was really fun to see the different directions that they went. And I haven't read a Miss Marple story in a while. But it was fun to see there were certain elements that showed up in almost every single story and then some stuff that went in totally different directions. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. And the nice thing about it is you can pick it up and put it down so easily. True. That's such a fun idea. I love it. So my next one is The Matchmaker's Gift by Linda cohen Leugman, and it's historical fiction that came out on September 20th. Written in a dual timeline format, The Matchmaker's Gift follows Sarah Glickman, a Jewish matchmaker ahead of her time in the early 20th century who begins her matchmaking when she is 10 and finds her sister a husband. When she dies, she leaves her journals to her granddaughter, Abby, who is a lonely divorce attorney. Abby is distrustful of true love because her parents fought often and eventually went through a bitter divorce. But as she continues to delve into her grandmother's journals, she realizes that she may have been following the wrong path and that she needs to make some changes. This delightful, feel-good book drew me right in, and I did not want it to end. But when it did, I loved the way that Linda ended the story. I highly recommend it. This was another Patreon early read, and the group loved it so much as well that I am hosting her with Madeline Martin for my literary salon in November here in Houston. And Linda herself is just wonderful. She is so engaging. If you have an opportunity to hear her speak at any kind of event, I would do it. And I've been so happy lately to see all sorts of great press for this one. She was in People Magazine and a couple other publications, and I've just seen nothing but glowing reviews. This is The Matchmaker's Gift by Linda Cohen-Loygman.
0: I loved this too, and I loved being a part of the early reads and listening to um, Linda's chat. I loved this book because it was sweet, but it wasn't overly sweet. And for me, sometimes I just really want these like emotional gut punch reads. But I do need some lighter reads in the mix of things to just kind of keep a good reading balance, but I'm not really drawn to like rom-coms. So this was this perfect sweet spot for me of really a heartwarming story, but really had some substance to it. And I learned a lot too. I didn't realize that there was a Jewish tradition of matchmaking. And I thought that historical aspect and how she drew from this newspaper article, you know, from years ago was so, so interesting.
1: And she pulled in a lot of cool historical details that she talked about when we met with her in terms of the Pickle King and his daughter's wedding being in the newspaper and just a variety of things. I, I thought it was very well done. And as you said, it's, it's not a heavy read, but it's not super light. It's a very feel-good story, but there's a lot of substance to it as well.
0: Yeah. And I think like the magical realism aspects were really light and it didn't feel like totally implausible. It just felt... Just a little like folklore almost and um, really fun. I just, I thought it was such a unique read and I haven't read anything like it.
1: I agree. So what's last for you? Are we on your last one?
0: We are, we are. My last read is Imposter by Brady Godfrey and this came out September 13th. So for me, popcorn thriller burnout is a real thing, but I never get tired of a thriller that is smart and pulls on my heartstrings. Imposter by debut author Brady Godfrey really will have you flying through the pages, but there's so much more to the book than just kind of the standard thrills and chills. The story centers around estranged sisters, Lillian and Rosie, who are involved in a car accident, which leaves Rosie with a severe traumatic brain injury and memory loss. So prior to the accident, Rosie confides to Lillian that she's got this secret to share with her, and it's a matter of life or death. So in the aftermath of the crash and her sister's injuries, Lillian is determined to find answers because she has to know the secret. It's a matter of life and death, and her questions have gone unanswered. So I love the way that Brady Godfrey drew on her personal knowledge as a physician because in her career, she works with people who have sustained traumatic brain injuries. And the way that she infused her knowledge into the story was so great. It really stayed true to the medical facts, but it didn't bog readers down, at least in my opinion. And in my own career as a speech pathologist, I've worked with a lot of children and adults in the hospital who have had severe brain injuries. And so I thought that Brady did a really fantastic job portraying the ways that a head injury can impact the patient as well as the entire family unit. This was a departure from Godfrey's previous novel, The Beach Trap. And she co-wrote that under the pen name Allie Brady with her best friend. And so this new venture into the mystery thriller genre truly showcases how versatile she is as a writer. She can write this beach read, but then also this mystery thriller that is really smart. So I think if you enjoy a clever mystery with themes of sisterhood and loyalty, you won't want to miss *Imposter* by Brady Godfrey.
1: I have not read that one but I have seen so many good reviews that I need to track down a copy and get it read because it sounds fabulous. And I loved The Beach Trap by Allie Brady. I realize they are vastly different, but I just thought it was so good. And I'm not usually a rom-com reader, and I thought it was so much fun. But I think it's because there's more to it than it being a rom-com. But I just loved it. I thought it was the perfect beach read this summer, and so I need to get imposter.
0: Yeah. I think in both books, the thread that ties them together is the, the sisterhood bond and how she explores like really complicated family dynamics and sisterhood. And so I can see kind of the similarities there. Makes sense. Well, what is your last read?
1: So my last read is Jacqueline in Paris by Anne Ma, and it's historical fiction that came out on September 27th. 20-year-old Jacqueline Bouvier spent her junior year abroad in post-war 1949-1950 Paris. And in Jacqueline in Paris, Ma brings to life Bouvier's time there and its impact on the rest of her life. Thrilled to be away from the societal pressure of New York and her mother's prying eyes, Jacqueline falls in love with Paris's social scene, the cafes, theater, and art, while also slowly realizing that the city is struggling with the aftermath of World War II. Spies abound while communism is taking a foothold in French politics, and no one is who they seem. Ma charts the beginning of Bouvier's long love affair with Paris, as well as bringing the City of Lights to life post-World War II. This beautifully written story transported me to a Paris with which I was very unfamiliar and focused on a lesser-known time in Jackie Kennedy Onassis's life that is often glossed over. This book will appeal to those who love Paris and those who love historical fiction, also anyone who wants to learn a little bit more about Jackie Kennedy Onassis's life. She's a favorite of mine, so I always gravitate toward anything that takes place with her in it, fictional or otherwise. And I also love Paris, so this is really the perfect combination. Anne Ma is sick and is unable to promote her book at all, but so many authors have rallied together to make sure that the book is getting talked about. So hopefully it will find its way out to everybody, and hopefully Anne will get better.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that she was sick. That's too bad. Uh, I have this book, but I have not read it yet, and the cover is beautiful, but I'm so excited to pick it up, and especially after it has your stamp of approval.
1: It was really, really good, and I just found that whole time period in Paris to be fascinating. People trying to recover from the war, all this jockeying for which way everything's going to go politics-wise and society and just all of it. It's very, very well done.
0: Oh, good. I'm so glad you loved it. It does sound right up your alley, that perfect combination. Yes. yeah.
1: (laughs) I had two other books that I was just going to quickly highlight without going into great detail that were like just narrowly didn't make the list. And the first is All Good People Here, which is co-written by Ashley Flowers and Alex Keister. And I thought it was so much fun. And it was another thriller, but very, very well done, quick read, clever, a ton of fun. And I think you've read it as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, it barely missed my top 10. It could have easily been included and swapped out. So highly recommend.
1: And then the other is Die Around Sundown, which was a historical mystery that came out in August. And it's by Mark Pryor. I'm a huge fan of his. And he has another series that's set in present-day Paris. But this is the start of a new series starring Henri Lafort, And it takes place in World War II. And it had so many twists and turns. Every time I thought I knew what was going on, the whole story just kind of did this 180, and I was like, whoa. So I just thought it was, it was very cool. He again brings Paris to life. You can see a theme here. And um, during World War I and World War II, and my husband read it as well and equally enjoyed it.
0: How fun! I haven't even heard of that one, but I love that you and your husband did a buddy read together. Yeah, it was really fun. That's great. The book that I wanted to quick mention is The Bodyguard by Catherine Center, and this came out in July. And I'm not usually a big romance reader, but this one was so well done. It was quick. It was light. I loved that it was a fake dating trope. This trope didn't feel overdone to me because I've never read a book that had a fake dating <laughs> trope. Um, so I'm like, okay, this is new. This is brand new. Everybody yes. else is
1: like, okay, I've read a million fake dating nope, tropes.
0: <laughs> nobody has ever done the fake dating trope before. Yet. So novel. <laughs> Catherine is a genius. Yeah. So I just thought it was just a little delight to read. And It was a closed-door romance and wasn't too spicy, and so I always appreciate that in my reading. And so um, if you're looking just for a sweet romance, The Bodyguard by Catherine Center is a good one to pick up. And I'm also excited because I haven't read any of her backlist, and I know that she's got some really good books that sound like I would really enjoy them. So I'm excited to pick up some of her backlist soon.
1: She does, and several of them have been made or are being made into movies, so that's kind of fun as well. Yeah, I love that. Well, Kelly, as always, this was delightful and it's so fun to see where we match up and where we don't. And I've added some books to my list and this was just so great. So thank you as always for joining me on the Thoughts from a Page podcast.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm always so grateful for the opportunity to come and chat with you about books. I love it.
1: You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes and luckily, that's how long it takes me
0: to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling,
1: and all in approximately seven minutes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate your taking the time to listen to my podcast. I want to quickly share about this wonderful company I am now partnering with. I am always looking for entities that promote and highlight books, and recently came across Book Clubs, a company who provides all sorts of resources for established and new book clubs, as well as individual readers. My own personal book club recently signed up on Book Clubs, and the group has been impressed with all of the great tools the site and app provide. The Book Clubs website is linked in my show notes, and I hope you will check them out soon. Also, if you like my show, I would be so grateful if you would tell everyone you know about it and rate it on whichever platform you listen on. It truly makes a huge difference and really helps the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and that link is also in the show notes. I hope you will check out some other thoughts from a page episodes and have a great day.